الجزيرة بودكاست Israel has scrapped parts of a law barring settlers from some areas of the northern occupied West Bank. Tension has been running high in the region. So what's behind this move? And just how problematic are these illegal settlements in the Palestinian territories? I'm Nastasia Tay, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our panel now. In Tel Aviv, we have Akiva Eldar. He's a columnist and also the author of Lords of the Land, The War Over Israel Settlements in the Occupied Territories. In Ramallah, we have Noor O'Day, a political analyst and also the former spokeswoman for the Palestinian Task Force on Public Diplomacy. And in Washington, D.C., Michael Omerman. He's the director of research for Israel and Palestine at Democracy for the Arab World Now. That's a nonprofit organization that supports human rights in the Middle East and North Africa. A very warm welcome to each of you. Thanks so much for joining us here on Inside Story. Noor, I'm going to start with you. Can you give me your reaction to this week's move? Well, I think we have to look at this as part of the big picture, which is that this is a government that has a very clear agenda. It is working to permanently colonize the land, and that uh, includes reversing um, a very symbolic, really, withdrawal from these settlements um, uh, uh, at the time of the unilateral exit from Gaza. Those settlements were never returned to uh, the Palestinians. The land was never returned to its owners. And so now this is just a, a, a one way to signal to the constituency of this right-wing government that it will push ahead with settlement construction and expansion, with mm. taking over, uh, really, the rest of the West Bank, uh, no matter what the world thinks or says, because, again, uh, they know that uh, uh, thinking and saying is where the buck will stop, and uh, so far there is no signal that there are any consequences for such actions mm. which are illegal under international law. Okay, I do want to give our viewers just a little bit more context here. Uh, we're talking about these four settlements. Settlers were moved out in 2005. This move allows them back. But I do believe it still has to be signed by an Israeli military commander in order to actually been, be enforced. Presumably, that will happen. Akiva, let me turn to you. What does the timeline potentially look like? And, and is this a done deal or, or is there legal recourse? I'm sure that uh, it will be appealed. And, uh, you know, these days, the uh, story is uh, the relationship between the uh, judiciary and the, the government. Uh, I, I'm sure that uh, in the some peace NGOs, uh, they are ready with the appeal. It will actually not change the situation on the ground, because on the ground, the settlers are doing whatever they like. Actually, the settlers are the government, and uh, the government uh, is uh, now full of settlement. The minister in the Ministry of Defense, Smutrich, is a settler. Um, Bengvir, the minister of national police, is a settler. Uh, so now they are part of the decision-making process. And uh, their agenda and their priorities are very different from, I can even say, the majority of the Israelis, because even the Likud voters, even people uh, who believe in, in greater Israel, most of them are not messianic. Most of them are not kind of Jewish ayatollahs. So uh, to uh, connect uh, my answer to the previous guest, I can say that as long as 
the uh, domestic political domestic price that this government has to pay um, is close to zero mm. because uh, the Security Council uh, will not use uh, Chapter 7 and will not use sanctions in Israel. And let's wait and see if uh, President Biden will still use uh, the veto power to stop sanctions against Israel I wouldn't put my money on it. Well, this seems to be a good time to bring Michael into the discussion. I know the US, Michael, particularly President George W. Bush, was instrumental in getting the 2005 deal done back then. This is obviously a very sensitive time for Joe Biden's government. How is Netanyahu and his broader coalition being viewed in DC? Um, I think with heartbreak, really. You know, I, I think that this, this process, this government, um, the, the best way to understand the, the way that the United States has seen it and will see it and will probably dictate its actions is, is a, a parent or a sibling of, of somebody who, who is an addict and, and they understand that their behavior is destructive and against their own interests, but they're, they're, all they can do is change their own behavior. So I, I agree with Akiva that we don't, I don't think we'll see sanctions on Israel from the United States from this, um, but what it does do uh, is create the space for the administration to have a more honest discussion with itself, reconciling the image or the myth of Israel that American politicians are more comfortable with and have had for many, many years with what Israel has become, but quite frankly, with what Israeli leaders have been saying they want and what they what they are and what Israel, what Israel is for many, many years. Um, so I, I think the administration understands that. But they're they're taking a long time to uh, to come around and, and sort of acknowledge and believe it. But but we may see that soon, and and we're seeing sort of escalating steps um, from small changes in language to the way that they describe the relationship. Um, to you know we saw the the summoning of the Israeli ambassador to the State Department uh, a couple of days ago over this move specifically. Um, but you know I I think that that what we're likely to see if if this type of move, which as as Noor pointed out. Uh, quite correctly, is part of a bigger package. We can't look at this um, as an isolated okay. piece of legislation. You know, the, the law itself is is one page long, uh, and it's part of a, a package of, of dozens of laws to completely reshape the Israeli uh, political and legal system. But more importantly, its relationship to the to the Palestinian territories to and the the Palestinian people. Um, with, I with want an to, annexation. I want to look at some of those those other pieces of legislation in a minute, but just sticking with this particular move this week for now, I know the US has come out and said it's extremely troubled by this new law. I believe that Biden and Netanyahu had a, a conversation on, on the phone on Sunday, and they didn't talk settlements at all. Now, beyond the, the outward condemnation here, uh, nor what would you like to see from the US? Well, from the U.S. and others, I would like uh, for them to be consistent and to treat to treat this government as a rogue government the way it would uh, if it were governing any other country. This is a government that's not only flaunting uh, international law, it is declaring its intention to commit war crimes. It is assaulting the tenets of the Jewish democracy, uh, so to speak, which is, a, a, you know, a uh, a defective de democracy in Israel that also excludes the 20% of uh, Palestinians who hold Israeli uh, nationality. But even that is now under threat. So despite all of that, the American administration continues to 
uh, treat the situation with kid gloves. The European Union has, you know, had a few statements here and there, but still the largest trading partner with Israel is refusing to take any accountability steps, including sanctions or, or, or at least banning of settlement products. These are steps consistent with international law, steps that the Europeans and the Americans have taken in response to uh, other situations of occupation, including uh, that in Ukraine. And yet, um, the culture of impunity, the feeling of invincibility that the Israeli government, this and the previous ones, uh, have, uh, is, is, a, is a natural outcome of the fact that uh, they've always been shielded from any kind of accountability. And, 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 and that's, you know, um, unless that is broken, uh, then really there isn't uh, much uh, that's going to change except the fact that, uh, you know, with their back to the corner, the Palestinians um, are not going to simply, uh, you know, um, watch as uh, all of their land is stolen from under their feet. And as Smotrich, who is really the de facto ruler of the West Bank, um, kind of gets to uh, act out or, or, or play out the plan that he has for controlling the entirety of historic Palestine by doing away with the Palestinians, whether by encouraging them to leave or by expelling them or confining them uh, to their cities and villages. That's no, the direction we're heading. And no, if it's I, not I stopped, to... then... then uh, Sure. Sorry, I want to pick up on something you just said there, that the Palestinians won't just sit idly by and watch this happen. I noticed the timing of this. It's obviously the start of Ramadan. Easter and Passover are both just around the corner. Akiva, is there a concern that the timing of this could be viewed as provocative in itself? Yeah, you know, there, there have been attempts now uh, to get the Israelis and the Palestinians together because now even a meeting between... Prime Minister Netanyahu and Abu Mazen, you know, something that uh, we, we took it uh, as the most natural thing to happen because we have an agreement. We have the Oslo Agreement. Actually, when we are talking about the disengagement from uh, the Northern West Bank and from Gaza, this was actually part of the process. And where is the process? We are now 30 years after the, uh, you know, I was... Uh, in the White House in the uh, South Lawn when uh, Shimon Peres and Rabin shook hands with Arafat. Now it looks like, uh, you know, it was in another century. So um, I, I believe that the Israeli people are now starting to realize the linkage between those uh, messianic Smotrich and Bengvir and democracy. And uh, you see now half a million people in the streets today uh, demonstrating against the uh, blitz, the uh, uh, attempt to change the Israeli democracy mm. and on steroids and the occupation. You don't see Israeli Arabs in the streets because the Israeli democracy is democracy for Jews mainly. And uh, if we don't find a way to find uh, some kind of uh, live together, a way to bring together Jewish values and democratic values, we are heading towards abyss. And, uh, Akiva, you the, say the that American there needs to be a way for people to live together. 
but I noticed that settler violence in particular has also been on the rise. I took a look at some of the numbers. Now, since the start of this year, 2023, Israeli settler-related violence reached, what, an average of three incidents per day compared with two incidents per day last year, one incident day per day the year before that in 2021. Those are UN numbers. Now, I know part of Israel's justification for the settlements itself has been this idea of security. Michael, do you think the West or anyone in the West still buys that? I think that picking up on what Akiva said, and, and I'll get to, to your question in a second, that it's always been easier, um, and this is both a tragedy and an opportunity at the moment, for the West in particular, but for the world, to care more about the rights of Jewish Israelis than the lives of Palestinians and the safety of Palestinians. And, and that's tragic because it, it means that there's been 55 or 75 years of, of tragedy, of massacres, of, of killings and, and injustice. But the opportunity is that if the world stops seeing Israel as a democracy, the way that Jewish Israelis experience it, then it's very difficult to continue the charade or the to continue looking at the Israeli-Palestinian situation as two separate regimes. Because if Israel's not a democracy within its own borders recognized by the world, then how could how can you separate that from the undemocratic military regime that it's been ruling over millions of Palestinians with for 55 years? So, you know, I, I think that there there is an opportunity for the world to change the way that it, that it looks at um, the Israel-Palestine situation, but but its uh, its its focus is in the wrong place. Michael, you're talking there about this shift away from democracy in Israel. In fact, all three of you are. And we have obviously seen these huge, huge protests that have been taking place in Israel as part of this huge uh, swathe of legislation that this coalition government wants to, to put through. Now, I'm wondering about the, the public opinion that you're seeing there, Akiva. Uh, is there a bit of a normalization now, do you think, of the far right? Oh, yeah. Um, according to the uh, recent polls, if there are elections today, um, Lapid uh, and Gantz could form a coalition. Having said that, um, while they were in power uh, for the last year or so, um, they didn't make any attempt to reach uh, out to the Palestinians or to get closer to a final settlement agreement. Uh, you know, Gantz ran uh, on the last election, the former elections, on the ticket that uh, he was responsible as the chief of staff for the uh, killing uh, of more than 1,000 Palestinians in Gaza. So we need a deeper change in this equation. And the equation is not only Israeli and Palestinian. Without the American you know, f not only facilitating, but putting the political chips and giving, as, as uh, was said before, and uh, as long as there is impunity and uh, the, the occupation is so cheap for the Israelis. Uh, yes, some Israelis have been also killed. We have to mention this. You know, we lost two uh, young brothers a few weeks ago. Uh, but the Palestinians have nothing to lose because at the end of the tunnel, there is no light. Mm. And more than that, there is no tunnel because even 
negotiation, going back to the table, looks now like a fantasy that uh, many people in Israelis, including people in the left, have lost it. And now they are demonstrating mm -hmm. to save the democracy. But it's not about the occupation. I want to hop in there, Akiva, because we are having this very broad discussion, which is an incredibly important one about the future of Israel and the future of Palestine, but also within the context of this move, this, this move about these specific four villages that we've seen this week, just one of a, a whole host of things that's taking place at the moment. This is all obviously part of a much larger picture. Now, in terms of settlements, it's something like 600,000 and 750,000. Between those numbers, Israeli settlers live in at least, what, 250 settlements and outposts across the occupied West Bank and, and occupied East Jerusalem. Now, I know the man who, as of February, is in charge of settlements in Netanyahu's coalition government, he is the man that you've been talking about, Bezalel Smotrich. I want to listen to what he had to say earlier this week. There's no such thing as a Palestinian. There's no such thing as a Palestinian people. Do you know who's Palestinian? I am Palestinian. My late grandfather, who was 13th generation Jerusalemite, is the true Palestinian. The Palestinian people are an invention that is less than 100 years old. No, I know that's deeply, profoundly hurtful and offensive to many people. Do you regard that as, as reflective of the tone broadly from Netanyahu's government? I think it's a very honest representation of uh, where this government stands. It's not just Smotrich who, who uh, denies the existence of the Palestinian people and their, their, their national identity and their humanity, really, but this genocidal, this uh, de denialism of, uh, uh, of the Palestinian people, um, it, it is where uh, it is the ground on on which all of these ministers stand. And and I would remind the viewers that when Netanyahu first became prime minister, uh, his statements were maybe a bit more eloquent, a bit more suave, but they weren't really far from where Smotrich is. Mm. And the policies that have been adopted by his successive governments, Netanyahu. Uh, um, really translate or, or led up to where we are now. In 2018, when Israel adopted the so-called nation-state law, which accorded only Jews the exclusive right to self-determination in historic Palestine, it considered settlements to be a national priority um, and basically treated indigenous Palestinians as, as squatters uh, with, with no rights, um, you know, all of that, it, it's its only natural for us to hear someone like Smotrich spelling out uh, uh, his ideology with, with such audacity um, uh, in, in a foreign capital. Uh, I would say, you know, I would remind, he didn't say this in Israel where he says it all the time. He, he said it in Paris uh, and still he wasn't told to leave. Mm. So um, again, we go back to that uh, sense of invincibility. These, these uh, uh, politicians know 
uh, because of practice that they can say anything, they can do anything, and they will get away with it. Well, speaking uh, I of accountability here, sorry, I, I, I want to bring Biden, Michael in here, uh, because given mm. the tone that we're talking about, Noor, and what you were saying, Akiva, about this real, well, this foundering, if anything, peace process. I, I see the U.S. is still talking about a peace process and a two-state solution. <laughs> I, I mean, Michael, a lot of people, including our two panelists here, might argue that those are very empty terms. I, I would agree completely. I, I would just add to what Noor was saying that, you know, before last week, that quote, that type of statement, that there's no such thing as a Palestinian people and that I, you know, the Israeli politician speaking, was most closely associated with Golda Meir. This is not a new thought to be coming from Israeli leaders. And, you know, the, the, the opportunity again here is that this government is saying the quiet part out loud. So I, I don't think that, you know, we're, we're going to see any, any consequences here. Um, I, I do think that, you know, as we were saying before, that the world is going to have to start seeing this government and for, for what it is. And, this government as reflective of Israel, and it's not all of Israel. Um, you know, we're seeing massive protests against this government. But you have to remember also that, again, this is part of a package that is in the eyes of Yariv Levine, the justice minister, in the eyes of Betzalel Smotrich, in the eyes of many other uh, members, senior members of this Israeli government, is ultimately aimed at enabling the annexation of the entire West Bank uh, and what they call the land of Israel. Well, we Which are hearing as well from other senior members of this government of this desire as well to move back into Gaza. Uh, Akiva, do you anticipate that or, or a building spree to take place? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think that uh, even uh, the uh, voters uh, uh, of the Likud would not like to send uh, sons uh, to, back to Gaza uh, the uh, member of Knesset from the radical right um, said that uh, regardless of the price we have to pay, one day we have to go there. This is rhetorics. The, the problem in my eyes is that uh, the people of Israel keep voting for those parties. Mm. And the, I heard so many times from uh, American diplomats and uh, um, civil servants the United States cannot want peace more than you, the Israelis, and some of them even add more than the Palestinian. So um, as long as the Israelis don't have the desire to put an end to the conflict, they can live this with conflict. This is, most of them are very comfortable uh, with their economic situation, with uh, their ability to travel, anywhere, the shekel was strong, but the game changer can be the economic repercussions mm. of what's happening now in the field, in the other field of uh, democracy versus dictatorship. Uh, and here, it seems that people are starting to move. They read in the newspapers that uh, the uh, high-tech experts in Israel are moving, people are taking out their money, uh, transferring to Switzerland. Mm -hmm. So once they will see the connection between their personal safety and uh, uh, well-being and the occupation, then 
we may see some uh, changes sure. in the stream. So a need to really change the calculus here. Now, before we end, because we have been talking about settlements to begin with, I want to throw this to you, Noor. Can you give us a sense of what it's like to live in these areas as Palestinians, close to Israeli settlements? I know there have been not only rising levels of violence, but also attacks on olive trees, for example. Can you describe how it feels to live there? Well, it's, it's a nightmare, <laughs> uh, uh, to put it in a nutshell. And those affected, those most affected uh, live uh, um, uh, right next to the settlements. And we're talking about dozens and dozens of small, isolated villages, uh, villages that know they have no recourse to safety. They can't call the fire fighters. They can't call uh, Palestinian police for protection. Uh, the Israeli army accompanies the settlers while they're attacking uh, these uh, these villages and so there's an, a, a constant sense of helplessness and 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 being under attack uh, every palestinian traveling on the road in the occupied west bank checks uh, uh um uh, constantly on the status of the road whether there are settlers on the road are they attacking uh the 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 palestinian cars which roads to take and which roads to not take mm -hmm. and that sense of being under attack is exactly what settlers want. It's it's exactly what they've been enabled to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's very important to to highlight to the viewers that Palestinians don't see these settlers as separate from the state, from the Israeli mm -hmm. uh, uh, establishment. They are an, another part of it that is funded and aided and protected by the Israeli occupation army, by the occupation regime. Sure. And so, so they see it as one and the same. And, and that's helplessness why there is a Palestinian side and a sense of impunity on the Israeli side. I'm afraid we'll have to leave it there. But thank you to all of our guests, Akiva Elda, Noor O'Day, and Michael Omerman. This episode was produced by Mohammed El Aishi, Abdurrahman Chelik, Abla Kla, and Jimmy Gettohun. Studio sound by Sentel Marimutu. This program was edited by Andre Oosthuizen, Lin Yuan, and Joe DeFries. Do be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every one of our episodes. Thanks for listening and tune in again on Friday.